art can mean different things to different people. These are just our opinions. Bet interest in know that our opinions may differ from yours and encourage that difference. Also, spoilers. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Center of Cinema, where we take a look at movies and TV. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ben. Today, as is our yearly tradition, Tristan and I will be going through all of the Best Picture nominees for the 2022 Academy Awards. Ten movies this year, up from, I believe, eight last year. Academy has decided that it will be ten going forward for at least the next five years or ten years. They've got like a block, or it will be exactly ten movies during that time. Which might have allowed some stinkers to sneak in. Uh, yeah. So I think if you listen to our episode last year, Tristan and I think that the 2021 nominees, top to bottom, were it may have been the best year for the Academy Awards. There weren't the highs of the highs like the year before with Parasite um, and other years recently. But even the worst movie of the bunch, <coughs> Mank. Uh, was still not bad like it was an enjoyable film and the quality just overall was great top to bottom this year however is not the same no we will be talking about maybe a movie or two that we think may have been better deserving just kind of throw it in there because we like to be positive here so if we don't like something we like to talk about you know maybe here's something that someone might enjoy and you know if going back to to that, last year's nominees, I think there were a couple that I was like, mm, that was good. But like, you know, I'm not sure if it was deserving of best picture consideration. And this year, after watching so many of these movies, how I longed to watch Sound of Metal again. Yeah. I was like, that actually was so much better than most of these. And there was definitely no like Judas and the Black Messiah or Promising Young Woman in, in this bunch. There are a couple that Ben and I really enjoy and we will get to those but and, and us... a lot that are fine yeah and a couple that Tristan and I are against the consensus both critically and audience wise and there's also a, com- a couple that we don't like that we're kind of with the, cr- the consensus <laughs> you you'll know which one we're talking about but uh, before we get to all of that we can start and we're gonna we're gonna go in reverse alphabetical order this year because we like to switch it up. And we're gonna start with West Side Story, which, as everyone on Earth is probably aware, is a remake of the original from back in the day with some changes made that make it more palatable to modern taste, and also a couple of choices that baffle pretty much everybody. Yeah, it was uh, directed by a small independent director named Steven Spielberg. Oh, I'm I'm being told that he's won many awards and is probably the most famous director on Earth. Yeah, probably the most celebrated on Earth. And I think part of the reason he wanted to do this was just to prove he could do a musical. And you know what he did? He he did prove that this does follow the basic plot of the original pretty point for point. There's a couple of couple of minor changes nothing huge there's i think one added song was there an original or you know i'm not entirely sure one that i don't remember this is i love the original which surprises a lot of people but i do so i could be wrong and misremembering but let's 
go through the cast real quick. We won't, there are a lot of people in this. We'll go through the major ones. Yeah, playing Maria is Rachel Zegler, which I believe this is her first film role. It was her first ever film yes. role. And wow, she knocked it out of the park. Um, mm-hmm. I am very surprised that she was not nominated for Best Actress. Very much so deserving. Yeah, she was on the shortlist for pretty much every publication, entertainment publication. But yeah, she was incredible. She's a very talented singer. Um, (laughs) Actually, (laughs) the right color for Maria as opposed to Natalie Wood, who I also don't think could sing. But you know what? She was wonderful in that. But Yes, Rachel, Rachel Zegler was incredible in this role. Hopefully Acting, she's got a good career ahead of her. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I'm not sure how you can go up from starring in West Side Story, but I think hopefully she has some interesting projects come up and continues to grow as an actress and a performer. And she gets the unenviable task of acting alongside a cardboard cutout um is fairly problematic in his personal life so we won't spend too much time talking about him um but Anzal Elgort turns out he can sing and he has a little bit of charisma teeny bit I'm really impressed that Spielberg could make uh like a cardboard box of a human being even give a decent performance so like good on him I guess I think we can move on I think that's all he deserves That's that's more than enough. Um, Ariana DeBose was nominated for Best Supporting Actress playing Anita, the role that was made famous by in the first iteration of West Side Story by Rita Moreno, who's also in this film. And the award that Rita Moreno won, Best Supporting Actress, Ariana DeBose's standout performance um, definitely should have been nominated. She's only been in a handful of things, I believe. She mostly does theater work she'd been in really one movie up until this point and the disney plus filming of hamilton um as an ensemble cast member but yeah i think as much as this was rachel zegler's breakout this is putting ariana debose on the map like yeah she hosted snl after this she's become a cultural icon and i think both of these women definitely have long careers ahead of them in Hollywood. Um, and hopefully yeah. this is just the first step in a long career. It's interesting. I think that she ended up almost being like the emotional core of this film as opposed to Rachel Zegler. But I think her performance was just so raw and believable that she stood out in, in a movie that is really filled with, a ton of talented people in one vacuum of charisma but yeah she was also very good and i think you know just for sake of time we've got a lot of movies to talk about i think those are the three main performances we'll do some special shout outs to some of the supporting cast uh david alvarez as bernardo um mm-hmm. mike feist as riff one of my favorite who should have just been tony <laughs> he, he should have he was so good he was one of my favorite parts of the film. As we said, Rita Moreno as Valentina, Brian mm-hmm. D.R.C. James as Officer Krupke, Ant-Man star Corey Stoll as Lieutenant Shrank. And the list goes on and on. All of the sharks, all of the jets, all of these performers really brought new life into this musical, kept it consistent and true to the original um, in the Broadway production. But just with the cinematography and the way that it was shot, Every dance sequence and fight sequence, the choreography 
it was just mesmerizing. Like yeah. you, it was a beautiful movie. You could just watch it for the choreography, honestly. Like, and really, you probably should because you know, if you don't know the West Side Story story, Romeo and Juliet, basically a non-love love story that is, you know, heralded as one of the best love stories of all time. Yeah. Um, I think there's also special mention should go to Steven Spielberg's choice to not subtitle a lot of the Spanish. When people are speaking Spanish, you just kind of have to do context clues and it works really well. You don't really lose anything. And I think it adds a little bit more of a cultural impact in a movie that the original didn't. Anything else for West Side Story then? I don't think so. I think general consensus for me, I thought this movie was pretty good. It was a nice way to spend a weekend afternoon at the movie theater. Um, one of the movies that I did get to experience in a cinema this year, mm-hmm. um, which I think gave it a much fairer shot, in my opinion. But yeah, I thought it was good. I, I know why it was nominated for Best Picture. I'm not mad about it because of the spectacle and the history and Steven Spielberg's involvement. Definitely not one of my favorites of the year, but still, I think it's deserving. Yeah, I think I'm a little biased. Like I said, I love the original. Um, I really enjoyed this. That being said, I think if Spielberg wasn't attached, this wouldn't get the attention it is. So bless him for giving Rachel Zegler her start in Hollywood. That was great. Um, But for a remake, it does its job. Choreography is great. If Spielberg wasn't attached, I don't think we'd be talking about it on this episode. But here we are. Um, now, before we get to the next one, I think, you know, this might be a good segue to talk about what I think was the best musical of this past year and a movie that I was really surprised wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Oh. We'll just do a quick aside. I think Tristan and I agree this movie was really good. Tick, tick, boom, starring Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield. Just if you haven't seen it, I think Andrew Garfield gave the best performance period of last year. Um, yeah. He is... We'll get to who he's up against for best actor, and he may or may not win. Who he's probably going to lose to. Who he's probably going to lose to, and I think that person is also deserving. But just the manic energy and ability of Lin-Manuel Miranda, the director, to bring um, Jonathan Larson's musical to life. And this is coming from two people who really don't care for Rent. Tick, tick, boom was great. Yes, it was. I think Garfield gave the performance of his life in that film. He also just had a good year in general. If Spielberg wasn't attached, I think we'd be talking about Tick, Tick, Boom and not West Side Story, which is surprising given that Hollywood seems to be dead set on giving Lin-Manuel Miranda the opportunity that he got. But he will one day. Soon enough. He Soon would be my guess. But so the next movie that was nominated, so this is the second of 10 movies that were nominated and the front runner to win Best Picture at this year's awards, Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. I'm going to out myself here. I don't think I've ever seen a Jane Campion film. Her most widely known is The Piano, which was back in the 90s, I believe. Um, And she took a pretty long directorial hiatus between movies came back for this one it has gotten a lot of acclaim i watched it i couldn't tell you anything about it yeah this this movie is a slow burn um think of the slowest movie you've ever watched and 
it's it'll feel like you're watching this one probably on half speed. What I can remember is that the performances pretty much across the board were excellent. Benedict Cumberbatch has finally mastered an American accent. Just took him a <laughs> took him about five years, but he quite did a it. few tries, but he did it. He did it. We have a, the always fantastic Jesse Plemons in the film, who you might not know his name. He's in literally everything, and he's always great. I mean, it's really him and Paul Dano acting as Hollywood's scariest white men in movies. Basically, yeah. And uh, Kirsten Dunst also making a pretty great return to film. I haven't seen her around in a while, but she was also excellent in this. That's all I remember. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So those three performances um, were the standout, as well as uh, Cody Smith McPhee, who has been around for a while. He played Nightcrawler in the prequel, sequel, first class X-Men movies. Oh, Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been in some other things as well. Um, We won't go through his whole filmography. Um, But he had a really good performance in this as well. And all four of these actors were nominated for their respective Mm -hmm. categories. Benedict Cumberbatch for Best Actor, Kirsten Dunst for Best Supporting Actress, and Jesse Plemons and Cody Smith-McPhee both for Best Supporting Actor. The movie is a Western of sorts. It plays on the ideas, I believe, this is my interpretation based on what I remember and then the consensus I've read around it, is it plays on ideals of masculinity and education and roles, especially in the Old West or in the West in general. The cinematography, like the movie Mm -hmm. is very beautiful. The way that it's shot, I believe everything is on location. There's no you know, special effects or CG added, which makes it similar to what Nomadland did a year ago. It makes it just a very inspiring view of the West. Unfortunately, it wasn't filmed in the American West. It was filmed in New Zealand. It was filmed in New Zealand. You're looking at Middle Earth the whole time, but yeah, yeah, it, it plays with some stuff like that, but it's just, it's a slug. To get through and i think i do think that this is one movie that maybe maybe tristan and i you know we're not the target audience which is okay we also both watched it from the comfort of our own homes we did not which is this just, movie did not play in movie theaters at least in the state of michigan i think you had to be in like California or New York, maybe Chicago. It was a Netflix released film produced and released. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. If you've just, you know, looking at attention spans of the average American and telling them to watch a two plus hour movie that is slow like this at home with so many distractions, I think it's hard to get into it. Um, Yeah. So I, I think that caveat of maybe if we had the luxury to see it in a movie theater for the first time, maybe we would have been a little bit more engrossed. But and we're, we're not. Neither of us are saying it's a bad movie because it's no. it's not. It's just it's hard. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be mad if when it inevitably wins Best Picture, but it's just it would not be my pick this year or probably any year to win Best Picture. No, and we don't need to talk about a movie that could have been picked either over it because uh it's a good movie so we'll move on to nightmare alley directed by guillermo del toro yes if you've listened to a few of our different episodes most notably tristan and i's top five episodes 
You'll know that I really like Guillermo del Toro, but mostly his Spanish language films. I think a lot of audience members, especially Tristan and I, just get very frustrated with Guillermo del Toro's English films because they all are missing something that really connect better. Maybe not all of them. Shape of Water was really good at one best picture. I um, love Pacific Rim. I know it's stupid, but it's it's so much fun. And also, you can see Simu Liu's elbow for like five seconds at one point. Oh, there you go. But uh, yeah, Nightmare Alley. I think I texted Tristan after I saw this one in the theater. This movie feels like it's six hours long, maybe longer. It's two and a half hours, a little over. It just, it goes on and on. And it does a very good job of, like, it, it, it's a lot of movie. None of it's especially bad or lacking. It just continues to go. Like, it's a very long story. It's adapted from a 1947 uh, American film of the same name. So it's an adaptation of that. I was not familiar with the source material at all going in, which I don't think helped or hindered my experience at all. But it was, so to get into the movie, it follows uh, Bradley Cooper as Stanton Stan Carlisle, who's a carny. He works at a carnival. He's a con man. He's trying to, well, he leaves a situation, kind of becomes clear as the film goes on, and finds solace in the carnival because there you can travel a lot and people forget you. And, you know, you get kind of, you become pretty anonymous. And he's always trying to continue to, there's always the next con, next thing moving forward. How can I get more money? How can I improve my status? How can I continue this upward trajectory? Um, and it's really a bunch of a cast of characters around him as he goes through all of these different cons and plots. Some performances are better than others, but just some of the actors in this movie, we'll name them. I think Tristan and I agree, deserved a little better just from the sheer amount of talent in this film. Yeah, uh, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman. David Strait Hairn, Mary Steenburgen, Tim Blake Nelson, like between amongst this cast, there's however many Academy Award nominations for acting. Um, there's just great performances in a variety of movies. And I don't know, this one just felt kind of flat. Yeah. Part of it, I think, was it didn't seem like it had Del Toro's flair it felt very subdued and his visual style is so important and it felt like he didn't want to do that here and it made it feel a little empty. And there were, there were definitely like hints at it. There's one um, part where Willem Dafoe has this like fetus in a jar that yeah. has like a third eye on it. And it's very like classic Del Toro creature feature monster design. And then that's one of the few moments that's like that. The rest of it is a very human story, which is okay. But and it, there's hints at the supernatural, but it never goes that extra mile. And it just feels like there's there's something missing, whether it's an otherworldly thing, whether it's some of the characters' motivations don't really line up, or you have to read way too much into them. I think uh, for me, that's Kate Blanchett. I don't there's, understand 
any of that honestly yeah. like there, there's evil a very, psychologist like, there's a throwaway line that explains everything of her motivation but it's never explored if you don't pick up on the one line you miss her entire purpose for being in the movie um, and I think another thing that this falls victim to is it kind of it feels like somewhere along the line the way someone's like hey let's just try to make an Oscar movie so then when it when it ends and you get the he's going to become a geek like he he helped catch and almost beat to death the geek at the carnival in the beginning and there's that whole speech about oh you tell him you're going to you know it's just temporary and then you give him some drugs and then he keeps going and eventually he'll do everything for free and then you he dies and you throw him on the side of the road and you get the next desperate person and Bradley Cooper becomes that desperate person and it's there's this kind of really long walk to a cycle of abuse that's maybe he was abused by his dad in some capacity it's kind of hinted at not explored and then you just kind of end up in this weird metaphor and I think I don't know I think that part actually works i think it's just how they got there wasn't the strongest i you know i liked the circular nature of the movie but it really is just that third act of what they did with kate blanchett and richard jenkins it doesn't it doesn't bring stan to where he needs to be i don't feel like that makes him desperate enough to become the geek there's just it feels like they had this whole evil psychologist thing and then they wanted, they also wanted to do this other thing. But somebody liked the evil psychologist angle so much that they had to shove it <laughs> into this movie. And you get 45 minutes of an e- evil psychologist that has no bearing on anything else. And then and, there's the whole thing of the evil psychologist is trying to get back at this guy because he abused her. But again, it's like the, the, the A to B there is so shadowed that it just it takes away any payoff that you might understand there because it's not subtle like ben and i have watched enough movies and i think if it was subtle we could we pick up on it it's it's almost not there there's literally one throwaway line and then one reference where she like takes her shirt off and you're like oh i can connect those dots but also i'm not sure if those dots are actually dots or if i'm just drawing a line because i'm trying to make sense of this so really where we land is nightmare alley is kind of a waste of talent on all fronts and then this brings us to that thing where we say hey did the academy watch this and we will jointly put forward last night in soho (laughs) please please honor edgar wright making perhaps the best film of his career the least Edgar Wright film of his career, mm-hmm. but probably um, the best. Deals with many of the same themes, doesn't waste the talents of its leads, both Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and Mackenzie giving excellent performances, goes the extra mile for the supernatural angle, and it works. Um, and it has a third act twist that it deserves Yes, and is unexpected. Yep, very unexpected. It took me days to figure out if I liked it. And the consensus is we do. We do like it. I think we both agree that this that last night in Soho is not just a better movie than Nightmare Alley, but 
probably deserved the nomination more. Agreed. And the Academy uh, just shows that it doesn't like genre movies yet again. Except for very specific genre movies. Which we'll talk about later. Speaking of genre movie, oh, let's God. flash back. <laughs> oh, let's flash back to a simpler time where people could be racist and high school boys could date middle young 20s women and everyone everybody was <laughs> everybody had bad hair and was doing drugs of course that means we're talking about paul thomas anderson's licorice pizza i'm i'm really mad about this movie yeah me too and i'm it's i'm mad at the movie for a lot of reasons for it being a movie but more than that i'm disappointed in myself for actively wanting to see this movie and getting really excited about it. And I think Tristan and I talked about this. I really think it's the David Bowie effect where all of the trailers had David Bowie music on top of them, which just made the movie look so much more appealing. And then I watched it the first, the first day that it came to a local theater where I could see it. I went and watched it and I was so mad. Because this is not a good movie. I think I saw it like a couple days before you. And I was like, Ben, (laughs) this is a problem. So I think first and foremost, the movie is about a relationship. um, And the director, Paul Thomas Anderson, has gone on record to say, oh, this is not a romantic relationship. It's a friendship or like a mentorship thing or whatever it's not it's very romantic throughout the movie um even in the end where they embrace and kiss and are basically you know a couple um about a 25 26 year old woman yeah who is kind of a she's kind of like a matthew mcconaughey character in a lot of movies where she doesn't have any ambition or drive like you know she's kind of a slacker living with her parents all this And she dates a 17-year-old. Who's Um, the worst? (laughs) The embodiment of a cocky 17-year-old in Hollywood. And if this, you know, it just bears saying, if this movie, if the genders were reversed, everyone would think this movie was completely icky and would not want anything to do with it. There would be calls for Paul Thomas Anderson to not direct movies anymore, for the actors to, you know, rethink their careers. But somehow, because the roles are reversed, it's being lauded as one of the best movies of the year. This movie is just aggravating in all sorts of ways. One, it is romantic. I've never kissed any of my friends. I don't think you generally do that (laughs) if it's not a romantic thing. And they fully kiss at the end. Can we talk about the weird racism? We should talk about the weird racism. I think we have to talk about the weird racism. There's a running joke in this movie about a man who white a white man who runs a Japanese restaurant. And he, and he exclusively has, dates Japanese women. He has two different Japanese wives in the scope of the movie. He they don't speak English, and he translates for them, kind of, I guess. He speaks a very stereotypical, like, English in a Chinese-Japanese accent. And then at one point, they like, someone calls him out on it. And he's like, oh, I don't actually speak Japanese. 
Yeah, and then also he hires a bunch of white girls to run to work at the restaurant restaurant who like put on makeup to make it. And then Paul Thomas Anderson is like, I don't understand why people don't think it's funny. Yeah, he said, I don't think it's racist if it's funny or something. I don't, he has a quote, and the quote just made it so much worse. It wasn't that. It was his basic consensus was, well, it's showing the absurdity of racism, which is what makes it funny. But I don't know, just the fact of what we've seen in our culture in the past two plus years now, especially hatred towards Asian American people and the stereotypes and, you know, hate crimes and everything like it's even if the intention is to show that person is ignorant, it's more ignorant of you to put something in there that does not add anything to the plot is not addressed as ignorant or insensitive like there was no reason for that to be in there yeah and there's like two 10 minute scenes of it and it's just if it's like he's never seen blazing saddles where they go out of their way to show that it's stupid and then there's also the main character is the minority which is why i don't it was just bad. And then also the, you know, adult dating a minor thing. Yeah. The the positives, I think there are probably three positives is, of this movie, and that might be generous. Um, both leads, I believe it is both of their first films as well. Alana Haim from the band Haim plays Alana in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I She gave me a vibe. Um, I know a lot of people have compared her to like a young Barbara Streisand, um, which is funny because in this movie, there's a running gag about how you say Barbara Streisand's last name. And I'm probably what, butchering an actual, it, you know? An actual good joke. Yeah, the, which was given away by all of the trailers, the funniest part of the yep. movie. But, you know, being a musician that's coming in for starting to act, a lot of people were surprised that she wasn't nominated because of, you know, Hollywood likes that kind of story. She was, for the role that she had, she was really good at it. I mean, um, she's no Gaga. No. But she's no Gaga, but that's okay. You can, no, no one is. <laughs> Similarly, uh, first acting role was Cooper Hoffman, son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, oh, that's plays... why he looked so familiar. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Um, he plays Gary, who is the aforementioned 17-year-old uh, boy who's a famous actor, or somewhat famous. He's an actor. And he does commercials, and he did, like, a play or It's like a weird Brady Bunch thing. Yeah, but yeah, so there was that. And then I think the, the, perf- the standout performance of this movie... A lot of people wanted him to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I'm kind of glad he didn't because I think if you add up all of his screen time, it's maybe like four and a half minutes. Yeah. Maybe a little longer, but not, I I mean. Maybe 10. I think 10 is pushing it. But uh, Bradley Cooper, as much as, you know, he did have a good performance in Nightmare Alley, but this was a standout performance of the year. It was the best part of the movie. Like, there is a probably six minute maybe even up to 10 minute scene that revolves around Bradley Cooper uh that is so a lot of the movie is set in like the gas shortage um of the 70s in California and Gary and Alana are in a moving van and they are 
running out of gas. So it's basically them going up and down these twisty roads without actually using gas or using as little gas as possible. Um, and it's one point Alana has to do it all in reverse and it's driving the moving truck backwards without any gas. It's a very brilliant scene and it's all on the like precipice of actions of Bradley Cooper's character. And yeah, I, so I think that sequence, there's maybe 20 minutes that are about Bradley Cooper's character or influenced by him. Best 20 minutes of the movie. I almost walked out of this movie. And you would have been uh, totally justified in that. Yeah, the, the that scene, that whole sequence is the reason I stayed. And at that point, I was pretty much done with the movie. So I was like, okay, I might as well stick around. But this is not good. This is not a good movie. I don't. I haven't watched any other Paul Thomas Anderson's films, so I can't compare them. But I know he is held in high regard. I've seen a couple and I don't understand the acclaim. But anyway. It's bizarre because this movie feels like it was made for film buffs to watch and be like, oh, my God, look at all of the, the movie stuff. But it's just bad. The concept is bad. I'm trying to think what uh, what movie we would want to. Well, I know what I think I know what movie that I would place in this one. I don't think sure, you've seen it. this one yet. By another famous Anderson, uh, Wes Anderson. Ah, um, yeah. Still haven't I, seen it, but yeah, it's list. it's not a similar. It's not super similar, but uh, The French Dispatch by Wes Anderson for your consideration Academy you should have picked it over licorice pizza if for nothing else because it's not racist and not problematic with the ages of its two leads um, mainly because it doesn't have two leads it has like 12 leads um, also the, there was no licorice pizza in this movie so yeah it was named after an old like record store in California or something I don't know it, ben it was and an I texted name, about this. But... Ben and I texted angrily about this movie for almost three days. I think, if not more, <laughs> we just we kept getting mad. But yeah, if you want Academy, if you want to nominate a movie by a famous director whose last name is Anderson, you picked the wrong one. Congratulations. Good job. We're going to move on to our next movie, which we'll be happy to talk about. King Richard. This movie is about the rise of tennis stars venus and serena williams from the point of view of their father who seems like a piece of work played by will smith in maybe the best performance of his career uh, he was nominated for an academy award he is it's I like don't, this in pursuit of happiness or probably like yeah. neck and neck i don't think he's the one to beat for best actor just because denzel exists and got nominated but um this movie I got to see in theaters because it wasn't streaming again when I saw it or when I was wanting to see it. It was worth it. It's a fantastic film. It is one of the most fun movies on this list. Oh, by Um, far. And just a really just little cherry on top for Ben and I. It has the always great and always underrated John Barenthal. Um, I mean, really, if John Barenthal's... There's only one movie... Tristan and I know of where John Barenthal's been in it and the movie hasn't been good and that's The Accountant yes but other than that John Barenthal pretty much I mean that's like a 99% success rate so yeah his track record's record's great he seems like a very just good person and we love him but he is not 
the main focus of this movie. Yeah. yeah, I think this is a this is a sports biopic that does a lot of things that sports biopics do, which a lot of them are just a lot of fun because yeah. you know you kind of know the athletes, you kind of know the stories. This one does branch off from that normalness where. Yes, it follows the rise of Venus and Serena Williams, um, mostly Venus, which I mean, mm-hmm. now in present day, Serena is the one that's talked about more, but Venus was the one that, you know, came up and she was the one that was getting a lot of the acclaim at a younger age. And it shows their their training, um, especially at the beginning, how, you know, they would train so many hours per day, um, all by their dad who had no tennis experience this was just something that he and his wife knew that this was a way for them to be successful um, and to lift their family out of poverty really and just it was obvious that his love for his daughters propelled them to continue going and um, even at the direction of famous tennis coaches and uh, trainers and everything were saying Hey, this isn't what's best for your daughters. You know, this is how you, this is how you become a famous tennis athlete. All these things. He did it his own way. He had his own vision um, and path that ended up working, which part of it is kind of, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, this is a Hollywood movie produced by the Williams family. They probably want to take out some of the things that make their patriarch and members of their family look worse, but that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the movie. And given Hollywood's tendency to really just paper over all of the bad sides in movies like this, they don't. You can still kind of see that he's a problem. Mm-hmm. Their marriage wasn't pretty solid. It's more than implied that he had affairs or illegitimate children. And you do see that he, he potentially was holding the girls back by not letting them play games up until venus's like first time in a championship mm-hmm. and i don't play tennis so we don't we might not <laughs> get any these terms right but yeah i think this is a really fun movie i'm not a huge sports fan but sports movies i'll eat them up they're they're good and a uh, special recognition too so obviously will smith nominated front runner from a lot of perspectives for best actor best supporting actress um a fairly newcomer i don't know if i've seen her in anything else anjanu ellis plays brandy williams the matriarch of the family and she had some phenomenal scenes um mm-hmm. especially there's one scene um in the kitchen between the the two williams parents where she shows range she goes from anger to you know just complete desperation and sadness and you know really telling off what he's done in these girls lives in her life as tristan mentioned you know the choices he's made just as a person and wow she she had herself a scene and had herself a movie so Definitely glad that she got some recognition from the Academy uh, with a nomination as well. For sure. Really, the specifics of this movie, if you've seen an American sports biopic, this hits all the beats. The cinematography is pretty much the same. There's training montages. Everyone loves a good training montage. Everyone does love a good training montage. Um, The the game at the end where Venus plays the, uh, the Spanish woman 
whose name is escaping me, who is like the world champion. Honestly, one of the better structured final events in a sports movie that I've seen. Oh, it made it's me like, mad. Like, like not because of how it was filmed or anything, like the movie, just the experience that happened there. It, it made me mad. Like you're on the edge of your seat. You're like almost like trying it's i was almost sent back to me like mid-pandemic watching um queen's gambit where you're watching somebody play chess and you're like oh my god no you're making a bad choice and you want to like flip over a board it was like that it was so well handled and then there's that little moment where uh, will smith says to the says to serena you know people will say you know we'll recognize how good your sister is but they'll say you're the best ever I know you're going to be the best, which is very sweet because turns out Serena didn't get to pre- get to train at all. Yeah, she didn't. Well, they did training, but yeah, Venus was the one that was like getting special attention from all the coaches and was actually able to enter a lot of the tournaments. Mm-hmm. And then her Serena lied about her age to join the like junior junior league, which I loved because. <laughs> Over there crushing some like five year olds. I think they were like nine, but you know. Yeah, there was under 10. Yeah. So, yeah, Um, King Richard, thumbs up from us. Um, It was great. And definitely, you know, for another year that's a pretty all around, I mean, there's some diversity, but, you know, glad to see a movie like this getting recognized um, Mm -hmm. because I, I do think if we were at a year where 10 nominees there weren't 10 pictures nominated i don't know if this one would have made the cut um and i'm really yeah, glad do, that it I was do think this one was because i'm glad that this one was featured yeah i do think that one this is probably one of the last ones to make the cut but it's very good yeah and you know what we haven't had a lot of good old-fashioned american sports movies recently so like why not i know True. that's a lie but okay um, um Oh boy. You want to do the intro to this? Next one? up, we have the Chalamet led sci fi epic Dune Part One of. It depends on who you're talking to. I saw this in theaters. I've been to do. I, I saw this opening weekend. Okay. Um, for full full disclosure, Ben and I have both attempted to read the book. Um, I recently got 150 pages in and just couldn't. Uh, Dune's a lot. Dune is a lot. Um, and it doesn't matter what version of Dune you're, you're looking at, whether it's the book or the 80s movie or 90s movie, whenever the original with Kyle McLaughlin came out, or this one. Dune's just a lot. And here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of critics, a lot of uh, audience members, fellow podcasters looking at you, a special shout out to the Bagel Boys podcast who brought me on as a feature. We talked about our top 10 movies of 2021. Both of them had uh, this movie as their, I think, one and two, respectively. This movie did not make my list of top 10 movies. I... And I think Tristan and I are in agreement. The movie's not that good. It's not a movie. <laughs> it's, it's half a movie. Um, but here's, here's my comparison. 
And I would welcome people to look back on this take a few years from now and tell me how terrible this take is. But I think we're going to remember Dune like we remember James Cameron's Avatar because it's a lot of spectacle. Like this movie is beautiful. The way that oh, yeah. it's shot, like- the CGI, like all of the special effects, everything about it, it is a beautiful movie. One of the yeah. most spectacular yeah. movies I've seen and in that regard. The lead cinematographer also um, was the lead cinematographer on uh, The Batman. Just fun fact there. Um, person's going places knows how to frame a shot um but also huh. side note if the batman isn't nominated for best picture and this is what it, okay we can go into that later yeah. um yeah well i mean it's still early we'll see what what comes out but yeah the, the and hans zimmer's score the best one of done. the best scores honestly yeah like hands down the best work the man's ever done it's so good Beyond that, so he, here, here's where my comparisons create. So great score, great looking movie, a lot of spectacle. There is no substance to this film. Do, does anyone care about any of the characters in this movie? Yes. We care about Duncan Idaho because Jason Momoa oozes charisma. Also the dumbest name I've ever heard in any movie. I love it. So it's like they went into a bad sci-fi name generator. And they didn't make that for the movie. That's in the book. Yeah, that, that's original. So I guess I can't fault them for the name, but still. But yeah, I think Jason Momoa is great. Everyone else, like, these are great actors. You have Josh Brolin in there. You have Oscar Isaac. You have Rebecca Ferguson. You have Timothy Chalamet. You have Zendaya for all for of seven like, minutes. three minutes, seven minutes. Even though she's in all of the posters and trailers is like a pivotal character barely in it you have all of these amazing actors and those are just half of them i mean uh you have stellan skarsgård who haven't i mentioned dave batista yeah uh, david dasmalchen like all of these actors you could not have a better cast and so many of them in this movie couldn't act out of a paper bag like the acting was bad the characters were bad um and there's no plot they just it's like i feel like i say this a lot but if you're gonna do political intrigue on the scale of more than one country make it a series yeah because and the thing is there's so much world like this this movie is world building the movie Like we have to establish all of our characters. So none of them get character arcs because we just have to find out who they are. The story is really, okay, there's these people that have been inhabiting this planet for a long time as like the rulers to get this spice that's like a drug, but also a fuel source for spaceships to go super fast. This one family was in charge of it and then they were booted out so this new family gets in charge of it and then the old family is like oh we don't like this new family we're going to start attacking them and there's space worms dune like that's and there's also a lot of sand it's everywhere you know what anakin was right it does get everywhere it does it's it's irritating is what it is but yeah, there's, and you know, Timothy Chalamet, Paul Atreides, he's like a chosen one or something. We've got this whole, you know, he's going to unite the 
native people of this land and his people and they're going to form a more perfect union or something i don't know kind of weird white savior-y vibes yeah and again so and here's my caveat and why i'm saying five years from now you can tell me this is a terrible take if dune part two first of all ever comes out because you know i think denny villeneuve is a busy man and is going to have a lot his pick of projects and just like james cameron the first avatar has now been out for 14 years and the second one hasn't come out yet and all of you know Denny Villeneuve's relationship with Warner Brothers after putting this directly on HBO Max and you know he was complaining about that and then it didn't make as much money because it went to HBO Max so there's already a testy relationship there I think if Dune Part 2 doesn't come out in the foreseeable future and by foreseeable like within three years if it doesn't come out and then if it's not you know a perfect spectacular movie I think this Dune is going to, you know, we're going to look back on it in history and go, yeah, that actually wasn't very good. It was a great spectacle film. It was a great theater experience, but the movie itself isn't really a movie. And anyone who is comparing this to Fellowship and saying it's just part one, you have to wait, go watch Fellowship of the Ring again. There is a beginning, middle, and end to that film. The characters have depth. you know they act things just don't happen to them and also if if you're using that as an example which you shouldn't because that's a dumb take like that's a really dumb take i'm gonna call you out on it now try to read just try to read the source material for dune do you know how weird it gets paul atreides your savior for fuses himself with a worm or has like a descendant with a worm like it gets weird it's not like it's not great source material human worm hybrids freaking that's a dnd monster that you kill (sighs) so anyway dune it sucks moving on i'm a little bit lighter on it than then i think it's fine (laughs) i really don't hate it that much what i really just hate is that everyone is going around saying it's like the best movie ever and i'm like no there there were at least 10 better movies that i watched this year it, it was fun it was fine it's not a great movie and why is this the sci-fi film that made it through <laughs> why this one yeah, don't ask me anyway do you want to recommend a better movie or do you want to move on because <laughs> Um, if you, if you want to watch a better sci-fi movie that's based on established IP, it's going to make you cry. I don't know if it's a good movie, but it's more fun and it has Paul Rudd in it. Watch Ghostbusters Afterlife for Pete's You know what? It was a good movie. The Academy probably doesn't care, but it was fun. It was. And I had so much better of a time watching that than watching this. The only reason I wasn't on my phone during Dune was because my dad was with me. (laughs) Next up, completely different movie from Dune. A movie that is a good movie. Um, It is a good movie. It is a very good movie. It is the longest movie of the Academy Award nominees. Uh, Which I agree, I don't think it feels like the longest because I think Nightmare Alley and Power of the Dog feel longer. 
even though this one was three hours long, which is Drive My Car, the first ever Japanese film to be nominated for Best Picture and is continuing a tradition, a very recent tradition of actually having some foreign language films and international films get nominated for Best Picture. I watched it this morning. And I watched it two nights, three nights ago, something like that. Part of me feels like I'm still watching it. Um, It's a lot. It's a lot of movie. I think it, it was really funny when Tristan was watching it. So when I watched it, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm about two thirds of the way done. I'm going to text Tristan to tell him how it's going. And then I like paused the movie to get up and get like a, some water or something. And I was like, I'm only like an hour and 25 minutes in. I thought I was at least at the two hour mark. And Tristan did something similar today when he texted me and he's like, I hit the hour and a half mark and it started to slow down. And I'm like, yep. So there, there's a part in the middle where it really lulls, which I think is pretty common for any three-hour movie um, that's not based on superhero IP. But it, it's a very interesting movie. Based on a short story called Men Without Women. There we go. Based on a short story. It does surround a lot of the plot surrounds a play. So this could be why I'm mistaken. Um, yeah. My, so... It has kind of like a 20 to 30 minute almost prologue to the movie that details the kind of sets up the relationship between the main character, Yusuke. Yeah, Yusuke Kafuku. We're going to butcher these names, guys, so bear with us. We've done many uh, Asian-inspired films before, so you should know by now. Um, He is a thespian and play director he does a very interesting style of play where he casts actors and you know roles in his play but they don't all have to speak the same language Um, a lot of the working of the play is being very intentional of having the audience focus more on the words by reading as the actors act or stripping it away and being kind of unclear so having each actor speak in their own native dialect. Um, so like as part of the casting process for the play, Uncle Vanya, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, was that Chekhov? Yep. That's where we get Chekhov's gun. Yeah. He's casting this and they bring in actors um, to audition from Japan, China, Hong Kong, which they do make the distinction in the movie, uh, which I Good noted. Them. Um, Korea you know, the Philippines, all of these different Asian countries to audition using their own languages and native tongues, um, which was a really cool idea. Um, And there was even an actress who communicated through Korean sign language, continuing a trend of more uh, representation for hearing impaired um, or differently abled individuals in that way. So I thought that was the most interesting part of the movie, being able to see that experimental type of theater around. But overall, the the movie is kind of about the, it's an exploration of grief um, through both Yasuki and as part of directing this play, the theater that he's working for requires that artists in residency have their own drivers because of an accident that had happened years previously 
So that's a stipulation. The relationship between Yasuki and his driver, Watari, where they both have lost someone in their life that is similar to the other. Yasuki lost a child um, when she was, I believe, like five, around five, um, who, if she wouldn't have passed away, would be the same age as Watari is now. Watari also lost her abusive mother, and which, you know, kind of has... Um, Her father, I believe, abandoned them when she was really young. So she kind of has this, she has a stand-in for a father. He has a stand-in for a daughter. Their relationship develops and they're able to grieve with one another. Yeah, overall, I think this is a very, very good film. Um, The acting is top-notch. The story is impactful, especially when we're dealing, we're, I guess, for a while now, we're going to be dealing with our art tackling grief because that just seems like the time we're in we're getting a lot of it this is really good exploration of that um there were a couple of things that i didn't really get why it was in there the like pseudo love triangle between uh yasuki um his wife oto and koji Koji, which may or may not have even happened but it was weird don't know why that had to be in there that could have cut out 15 minutes Uh, yeah there was so there's Towards the beginning of the movie, Yusuke walks in on his wife having an affair. And then there's like, he just leaves and pretends that it didn't happen. And then like later on in the film, you learn more about the fact that he knows that she does this. and He's, it's not that he's okay with it, but he's accepted it. But then there's kind of this underlying nature that Koji admits that he was in love with Oto, the wife. It, it's kind of unclear whether or not they they were probably in a relationship. Um, you don't, you don't in see a, the guy's in affair. Yeah, but it, it's kind of understood that it likely did happen, or at least that's how Yusuke has perceived the events. Yeah. Um, I don't, so whether I don't or not think... that was reality, we don't know. I don't think for the plot of the movie it matters if they did or not because Yasuki believes they did. And that's enough to drive the story forward. Yeah. Um, Koji also, but, while we're on the subject, I don't know if this is just Japanese film compared to American, but the most subdued like arrest scene in film history, yeah. the police walk into the performance and say, we need to take him in. And he says... I admit I am guilty. And they go, you're going to be under arrest. And he goes, can I change my clothes first? And they say, of course you can. And like, that's the scene. I think that that might just be the rest of the world compared to (laughs) us. That's fair. Um, It could also be, you know, I don't know how good the dialogue translation was across Japanese to English. Maybe there is some, you know, subtlety that's lost in translation, but it was just a very um, fun moment, not because of actually, you know, the film itself, but the way that it was depicted to an American audience was very different. Can I change my clothes? Of course. (laughs) But he's going to try to get, oh no, he doesn't try to get away. He just... just wanted to change his clothes. There was also something that I think is kind of a... more of a throwaway, a very nuanced that Koji lost his very lucrative like TV contract, film contract, because he was caught in a relationship with underage an underage girl. Because that's kind of his fatal flaw throughout the movie is that he will 
he'll give up whatever he has if it leads to him being with a woman. So, um, but anyway, there's not like a whole lot of, I don't think there's a whole lot of criticisms we can make of this. It's, it's good. I just, when we've a couple of times today said, you know, it's hard to get through. This was, it really is. I mean, for a modern audience, for us, it was, it just, it was long. Three hours at home three hours is, long. is a long time to sit through any movie. But I do think that it having, being in a different language and being subtitled mm-hmm. does give it a lot more. You have to be focused on it. Yeah. Um, so you have to force yourself to go, oh, I'm really tempted to check on my phone right now because it's kind of slow. But then, you know, you're going to miss chunks of dialogue if you do that because you know i for one don't know japanese i also don't know japanese or mandarin or korean which were all spoken in this film yeah but yeah i think we both recommend it um Mm -hmm. if you have three hours and you can really focus on it definitely give it a shot yeah for sure um i i hope this continues a trend of us seeing foreign language films recognized by the academy outside of the best foreign language picture mm-hmm. and also please don't compare it to parasite because it's not fair to anyone i mean don't compare any movie to parasite because no it's the perfect movie and shameless plug if you haven't already go listen to our episode about parasite it's just two hours of us just gushing it's over true. a movie um next we have perhaps the most controversial pick by the Academy. Adam McKay's Don't Look Up, or as I like to call it, Adam McKay shows how many famous people he knows and got to hang out with him for a week or two. Which is, I mean, we talked about the cast of Nightmare Alley. We talked about the cast of Dune. Holy cow, Don't Look Up. <laughs> like Adam McKay knows people. Adam McKay knows people, can get people to do anything. He's got Meryl Streep. He's got Leonardo DiCaprio. He's got Jennifer Lawrence. He's got Jonah Hill. He's got Timothy Chalamet. He's got, there's Ariana Grande for some reason. He's got Tyler Perry. He's got Kate Blanchett. There's others. He's, he's got Chris... it's very interesting this is going to spoil a couple big movies from 2021 uh chris evans is the new matt damon oh yeah chris evans was was a cameo in this chris evans has had some of the best cameo performances lately of any actor that i know but also this movie is not best picture worthy no i think i think a lot of this comes down to filling out 10 movies is hard to find 10 movies that have good consensus and even like like we said some of the ones that we've talked about so far we wouldn't pick but i understand why they were nominated this one i think it really is just because of a how many famous people are in it and b the fact that adam mckay has become a prestigious director but this is nowhere near the big short or vice in terms of quality it doesn't have adam mckay's signature style I mean, it's humorous. There are a few moments in this movie, especially I think I told Tristan, the whole subplot of the general 
that charges Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio for snacks and just the rest of the movie, Jennifer Lawrence trying to figure out why he would do that. Every time it's brought up, I laughed. Like I full on laughed. You know, that was, that was funny. Uh, Mark Rylance, who we didn't mention in the large list, his Elon Musk-esque character. A lot of it I thought was actually kind of grating and I didn't care for. But there are a few moments like uh, Meryl Streep, who plays the president, asked how, how she was going to die. And part of the thing is Mark Rylance's character can just tell how everyone dies. And he says, you will be eaten by a Brontorock. And they're like, oh, what is that? And he's like, we do not know. That is all they told me. And it's like, and then the first of two post-credit scenes, Meryl Streep is eaten by a Brontorock. Yep. And then I think Timothy Chalamet's whole character like the skater punk guy who instantly falls in love with Jennifer Lawrence and then also was raised in a fundamentalist family. So has massive amounts of Bible knowledge is hilarious. Tristan, if you like his role here, you should watch the French dispatch by Wes. Is he good? I will. He's got a pretty good role in there. Um, um, other than that, it's not great and we can cover some niche reasons why ben and i and basically anyone from the state of michigan in the greater lansing area has reason to dislike this movie but yeah i think i think what a lot of people don't like about it it we had talked about earlier just like the how you can effectively portray absurdity in a movie and you really have to go super far beyond like you have to take it to the nth degree and then even go past that to show like the absurdity and the humor behind it this is this is satire but it's almost so first of all it's it's satire about like climate change and human interaction on that and you know news media and people upholding their own biases positive talk shows that never want to talk about real world issues um, the government undermining science and statistics in lieu of, you know, what's going to help in the next election, dis- disputing, you know, actual credible reports and doing, I don't know, using their own scientists to dispute reports. It, it's really culture as a whole. And then like celebrities taking a stance on issues where they really don't have much bearing of and you know all this just up again you know juxtaposed to real life issues that we're dealing with but i think part of it too is you know i think this movie was supposed to was written before i don't know if it was supposed to come out before covid and i think a lot of us are just really tired of some of this stuff because it's I mean, with climate change, too, but with all of this, I don't know if satire on real world issues is really what we need as a society right now. Yeah, if it is not all of all of all of it at once, (laughs) this isn't good satire. Yeah. Again, it doesn't go far enough to get beyond what we're already seeing in society. And it's also, I think, specifically when it when it tries to satire the uh or satirize, excuse me, uh, when it tries to satirize the previous administration and the fans of the the previous president, it does so in a way that when I watched this, um, 
I thought of all of their the times where they're like, oh well, the media looks down on us and they don't get it and they're they don't understand and they generalize about us and you know all of that. And for the first time ever, I was like, oh god, they're right. Yeah, it <laughs> definitely was a movie that yeah made their argument more credible because it definitely took that issue and looked at it from the most west coast hollywood way possible and there was no depth to it and i didn't i didn't want to feel bad for them so anyway let's talk about why the people from east lansing won't like this movie uh yeah so there's a big plot point which i don't understand why this is a thing they picked michigan state to be where like the two main astronomers are from leonardo dicaprio as a professor and his graduate assistant played by jennifer lawrence uh and and they're like i don't know they picked michigan state the campus that they portrayed is not michigan state it's obviously like uh liberal arts college in probably somewhere in the east coast would be my guess it gave me new england vibes yeah also, um, we looked it up. Michigan State does have an astronomy department, I think, but it's like two or three professors. It's like super Yeah, it's small. not big. Um, it's not Not like... to say, like, I think part of the joke is they're like, oh, where did these people come from? Like, it must be a really big astronomy university or like an Ivy League. And it's like Michigan State is the butt of the joke. But I don't know. But one, Ben and I both went to Michigan State. Ben is, in fact, currently wearing... Uh, Michigan State sweatshirt. Um, Go green. We have a better campus than that campus. Whatever campus that was. Ours is better. And you could have just filmed there. They filmed Batman versus Superman there. Like Lex Luthor's house is a museum. And there are parts, like if you, this is getting way off on the movie, but like the shot that they, like the two shots they showed of the random campus like, all you had to do was do the, like, heart of campus next to the bell tower where they have, like, the original buildings still there. Yeah. Like, that's all you needed was a, a shot of a couple buildings on campus. Like, somebody has that B-roll. We would have just yeah. given it to you. <laughs> I, I was in the film department. I could have, like, Adam McKay, you could have called me. I could have got you in. But you didn't. Also, that one scene where the comet is coming down and Leo is standing in the street and is like, I'm in Lansing, Michigan. No, you weren't. You were in Atlanta. Shut up. (laughs) Okay, so we were technically wrong. Oh, wait, maybe we weren't. Yeah, so, no, we weren't wrong at all. I lied. Uh, Don't Look Up was, the the college scenes were shot at Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts. So, yep, totally Michigan State. Yep, but positives of this movie. Again, Timothy Chalamet very good also the running joke where jennifer lawrence character has just like oh we're all gonna die i'll hook up or make out with you (laughs) at some point he goes you know when you say sure why not you make me feel bad (laughs) like it doesn't mean anything to you (laughs) and then i think i texted you at the end of the movie uh which is like i think he just delivered the best line in film in 2021 which was uh professor could i be vulnerable in your car (laughs) (laughs) so true um ariana grande's song don't look Mm -hmm. up was really good or just look up i think 
the, the song. Yeah, I think was. her song is Just Look Up. A lot of people thought it would be nominated for Best Original Song, and it was snubbed. Um, well, it wasn't nominated. I guess you can decide if it was snubbed or not. But all of the songs have been Kanto before it, so like... Agreed, but all we got was Dos Origitas, which is also really good. Just yeah, but, you know, of course, the Academy won't talk about Bruno, so... No. Um, in their defense, um, Disney didn't put that up for nomination, but... Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I just had to make the joke. It was right there. You're right. You're right. Um, let's see what else was good. Jennifer Lawrence, actually, I haven't really enjoyed any performances she's given she's usually in my opinion fine she was fantastic in this she was leo was his general leo self as was meryl streep who can do no wrong meryl streep um, is always good jonah hill was really funny but also disturbing like a lot of his lines were talking about how hot meryl streep was and meryl streep was his mom i mean i know what they were doing oh yeah i, I, I get it <laughs> I, I know what they were doing too, but so yeah, I guess maybe that was not a negative. Jonah Hill was hilarious. We'll he was. There. But I think if you want to watch an Adam McKay movie that deserved a nomination for Best Picture more, there are two. And I, I think, think both actually, of them were nominated. Yeah, but still, they deserved it more than this movie. So, True. Like, Absolutely. The Big Short and Vice are some of the best pieces of cinema of the modern age. I think they're both fantastic films. And I think we just kind of have to. Did the Academy watch? Let's not. Let's just throw it. Let's just throw all caution to the wind. Why not? If Dune can get in. Hey, Academy. Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> See, I thought if we were going to talk about satire, we would just mention Ryan Reynolds in Free Guy. Or Free Guy. Honestly, I was just like, this movie made me agree with Jimmy Fallon about like, hey, who thinks Spider-Man, who, who thinks Don't Look Up is a better movie than Spider-Man? No way. It's not. I think any, it's uh, not. Yeah. I think just to rapid fire some of the other ones, since this is our last bad movie, Green Knight. Who watched that, Academy? Where's that? Yeah, honestly. Sure. Let's go for it. Shang-Chi. Deserving. You know, fine. Let's, let's, let's say animated pictures can be in here. Encanto, probably better than this movie. Yeah, I loved Encanto. So, Lady Gaga we... in House of Gucci. <laughs> not the rest of the movie. Not, just not her. anything. Her and Adam Driver. Nothing else. Although, if again, if Morbius is just if he does the the House of Gucci voice for the entire movie, it might be the best movie ever made. I am Dr. Michael Morbius. I am vampire. I would like to help you. I know difference between blood and chocolate. Uh, yeah, but it was awful. Anyway, now we have just two movies remaining, which are Tristan and I's two favorites of the Academy Award nominees. We will start with the next in reverse alphabetical order continuing a, another trend of hollywood recently which we touched on with drive my car coda which is an acronym standing for child of deaf adults this is i think tristan and i said this um before we came on this is the most entertaining and most enjoyable of any oh, of yes. these movies and oh, yes. the most heartfelt um, um we both cried multiple times I believe I cried three times um, when watching this. It is such a great story. It doesn't have that many award nominees, but the ones that it 
did get are totally deserving. Obviously this, and also one of the screenplay noms, I think it's up for Troy Kotzer for Best Supporting Actor. Oh, um, does he play the... He plays the dad. dad. Yep. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so to talk about the story, it is told, it's a coming-of-age high school-type drama story um, about Ruby, who all of her family besides her is our death. So her father, like we said, played by Troy Kotzer. Her mother, Marley Matlin, who made history however many years ago now, 20 years ago now, for winning, I believe, the first acting Oscar for someone who is deaf. Um, she plays the mother, and her brother is played by Daniel Durant, who I believe is a newcomer or has only mm-hmm. been in a few things up until this point. Um, and Amelia Jones plays Ruby. And it's, I mean, there's not, there's really not much of a plot to this movie. It is a slice of life movie, um, which Tristan and I both really enjoy. Um, I believe Tristan's favorite of last year's nominees, Minari, mm-hmm. um, another slice of life movie. So this is definitely up our alley. And then another movie about people who are hearing impaired, like Sound of Metal from last year, um, which we both really enjoyed, except for the end. Yeah, except for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, which didn't need to be there. But yeah, Ruby is coming to terms with her place in the world. Um, as her family's kind of, I don't know, connection to the she, hearing world. They're free translator. Yeah. And it becomes apparent pretty quickly that they have gone from like relying on her to expecting mm-hmm. her to do that and are very dismissive of her love of singing. Which, yeah. if that is, I think that is Amelia Jones singing. Uh, she's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, kind of the crux of the movie is they're signing up for after-school activities or elective classes or something. Yeah. Um, which is another weird thing of like Hollywood. Have you ever been to high school? Like this yeah, is don't... not how high school works. <laughs> I don't think it ever did, and if it did, it was over 20 because that didn't that's not how that happens yeah when you and i went to school no they all stand in line and then like tell someone sitting at a table what like extracurricular activity they want to do so she signs up for choir because the boy she has a crush on also signed up for choir and turns out like girl can sing um Mm -hmm. and like can sing so well that the choir teacher begins training her um, so that she can do an audition at the a Berkeley college. School of Music. Berkeley School of Music. Which is um, a real school and is pretty prestigious for yes. um, performing arts. Um, and yeah, she puts together some really good songs. Um, mm-hmm. she, uh, Joni Mitchell, uh, I can't know, think of the name of the song. She sings a song by Joni Mitchell. Uh, she not only sings the song by Joni M- M- Mitchell, she kills it. She kills it. And, um, and that, but while all of the, I can pick, I can pick yes. up synopsis, but while she is learning to sing for real and be in choir and work towards less audition, her fa- father and brother who run, who work on a, like a fishing boat off the coast kind of start a revolt against the guy who was like selling their fish and they start a, a co-op but because none of the other fishermen uh know sign language they basically 
use Ruby to r- help run the business. And she does the coming of age thing where she has to choose between helping her family or, you know, pursuing her own dreams. But I think for one of the few times in Hollywood, like her reasons for wanting to like leave and pursue her own dreams are pretty justified. And when she does the whole reason you suck speech to her family, I was like, yeah, Ruby, you're right. This is completely ridiculous. I wasn't like, well, yeah, you know, I guess you're just, you're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. I was like, no, no, you're right. They were basically using you for unpaid labor. Sorry, I just thought of, as you were talking about that, also the fact that she gets really mad at her parents because they are really in love. uh, They are. Something you don't see in a lot of like Hollywood movies and depictions, like an older, you know, middle-aged couple that is still wild about each other. Um, and a pretty opening, one of the opening scenes of the movie, Ruby has to go to the doctor with them and they find out that they have like an STD and she has to tell her parents that they can't have sex for like two weeks and the parents are like freaking out. How? (laughs) Well, first she says you can't have sex ever. Right. But yeah, and then there's another moment later on where um, she brings a boy over and her parents are having sex and they can hear them because the parents don't know how loud they're being because uh, they can't hear. Um, this movie is very funny. It, it is probably the funniest of all the nominees. Again, the most heartfelt. So the, the parts that make us cry. Um, so there's a talent show at school or a choir performance or something. And Ruby has a duet with the boy that she likes. I think his name was Mason. Something like that. Yeah. Stereotypical so standard white boy name. Yeah. And you have a moment where you you see the, the family who can't hear and they're like taking their social cues off of what the audience is doing. But they're also like, I think they like check their phone or something during the song because like they're not getting anything. They can't hear it. They can't feel it. So, you know, that's really sad because you can tell that like Ruby is noticing this as she's performing that like, oh, they're not able to enjoy this. And after the performance, she's like, she's kind of exasperated with her dad when they get home and she ends up, he like holds her while she sings so he can feel the vibrations, Mm -hmm. um, which makes him cry, which made me cry because, you know, it was really Mm -hmm. sweet. Uh, So that was the first time. The second time is then, like, she's decided that she's not going to go to our audition for Berkeley. Um, she's just going to stay and help her family um, and all this. And then her family, like, drives her to the audition. And they all, like, they're told that they can't watch her perform. And they sneak into the balcony anyway. And she is kind of, like, she's nervous. She's flubbing the music. She didn't bring her sheet music because... Um, she didn't know she needed to or she forgot it or whatever so she has to sing it acapella she notices her family and she starts signing it while she's singing um and you know it's oh such a sweet moment so that made me cry i think there was another moment that made me cry got me one when she's leaving because she gets in and she's leaving and then at the end her friend like she tells her friend to stop the car and then she gets back out and like runs and hugs they have a big family hug and they're all signing I love you and they the shot I saw over and over it's like the last shot of the movie of like 
they, they I guess they like they put the camera on the side of the car, mm-hmm. and Ruby's like leaning out the window, looking back and signing "I love you" to her family as she drives away to Berkeley. Yes, that got me. I was I was like the last half hour of this movie, I was just an absolute mess. Yeah, but I think it earns it too, though, because it is so funny. Like the the emotions are all over the scale. It's super funny. It's super heartfelt. It's you know, it's everything you could really want for a movie. And I am so glad that it got nominated. Part of me really hopes that it wins um, because I think that would be great for not only because it was a phenomenal movie, but just continuing to represent different types of films than what we normally see at the Oscars. So, yeah. It's also just a side note for a few people. Um, If you watch Netflix's Lock and Key, Amelia Jones plays the daughter in that show. That show does not do her acting ability justice. I don't know if that's like a directing thing or, but she's very good in this. Yeah. Um, Also, she can sing. (laughs) She can sing. Absolutely. Our last... I thought of another one that the Academy could have watched or nominated instead of Don't Look Up. (laughs) Quiet Place 2. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. I forgot that that was this year. I mean, I think that would have just been a legacy award for A Quiet Place Part 1, but I agree. Um, Our last nominee, which is the other one that Tristan and I, I think, are both unanimously in agreement, is deserving of a nomination. And honestly, I think if we were academy award voters would probably be at the top of our list is kenneth brana's belfast tristan and i both generally are not the biggest brana fans his work on shakespeare is really great so um his work on four is really average him is gilderoy lockhart in harry potter (laughs) in the chamber of secrets transcendence his role is hercule poirot in the his adaptations of two Agatha Christie novels. I don't know, uh, I haven't seen them. But yeah, this movie is another type of movie that it's a it's semi-autobiographical. It draws on Kenneth Branagh's own experiences growing up in Northern Ireland and having to and experiencing what is what are known as the Troubles, which is when Northern Ireland goes through a bit of like a civil unrest um, between Catholic and Protestant families turning against one another. It is related to Northern Ireland staying part of the UK while the Republic Mm -hmm. uh, splits away. Belfast is a little bit of a contested area and there's a lot of anger um but from protestants in belfast and you know catholics with the republic of ireland being a predominantly catholic um, if not you know one of the last remaining basically catholic um countries on earth uh that's you know where we get all of the ira stuff and if you don't know what we're talking about it's because the american education system doesn't really cover the troubles nope um, and they really should because they might start up again real soon due to Brexit. Yeah, very true. I think what makes this movie spectacular um, and why it would be my pick 
it wasn't one of my it wasn't my favorite movie of the year but um it's also because i didn't see it in 2021 when i was doing all of this listing but i bet it would make it upon re-examination but what makes this movie spectacular is it has this very important and like terrible historical event happening but instead of telling it in a normal way of through the eyes of adults and through you know an explanation and exploration of what actually was happening it's told from the viewpoint of a young boy in the scope of his childhood his imagination how it changes his life which is you know the stand-in to Kenneth Branagh who would have been, you know, growing up in a similar situation, similar time, being able to see the experience through his eyes just makes it that much more impactful. Um, Yeah. You know, it's not adults that are, you're seeing the events take place over the adults, but it's the adults in his life, his grandparents, his parents, um, it's his friends, parents, aunts and uncles, you know, that are being affected, but you're seeing it through his lens of naivete and not able to grasp the true like gravity of like, yeah what is happening around him because to him all he's seeing are like teenage boys in quote unquote gangs and I think there's the at the be- very beginning of the movie there was the one attack mm-hmm. which is the best scene of the movie yeah eh, I don't know any of the time because throughout the movie um whenever like movie like film or tv or there's you know, like the one theater play they go to that is in color but the rest of the movie isn't and it, it got to the point where like i think it was the play where he goes or they no, they go see chitty chitty bang bang mm-hmm. as a family and at one point you can see the movie reflected in his grandma's glasses and that is in color but the written like it's so cool that's true that is a a really cool camera trick and ability to, to separate that. Yeah, but I think what really got me about this was just how real the family dynamic felt and how like you see this like the dad, I don't even like what is he is he in construction? I don't really know what I, he does. I believe so. I believe it's construction. He's le- he's leaving to go to England to do work and you know they're trying to move the family because belfast is dangerous but they have like he and his wife and their parents they all grew up in belfast and you know they're they're wondering about like losing their roots and their history they talk about the mom says you know if we if we go to london um half the people won't understand us and the other half that do will hate us because of where we come from and you know another thing that the american education doesn't system doesn't really talk about is the racism that the irish experience basically mm-hmm. everywhere and uh how like in that the grandpa goes to the hospital and he says you know even if you move your home is still here we'll still be here and that's okay and then the other little thing that really got me was the Kenneth Branagh stand-in kid, one who's an amazing actor, like mm-hmm. incredible. He has this like little tiny ten-year-old schoolboy crush on <laughs> this other girl in his class, and the whole movie you don't really learn about her because like she actually isn't super important to the plot until the very end, where they're leaving Belfast, and he. 
his dad takes him to like drop off a bouquet of flowers before they leave. And they cross the street again and he asks his dad, Hey, is it okay that I I'm in love with a Catholic? And his dad says, yes. Wouldn't matter if she's Hindu or anything else. She would be welcome in our home. As long as she's kind, as long as she's kind. And you know, that just kind of gets the root of the whole thing where the whole point of this, besides just showing people a part of history that is important and kind of poignant in everything that's going on today is at the end of the day, as long as you're kind, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what way you believe. And also Jamie Dornan's just real good in this. You guys <laughs> like, like all five of the main performances which are the kid, the two parents, and the two grandparents. Uh, so Jude Hill plays Buddy, who is the you know, kind of stand-in nine-year-old boy. So um, put him up there with the kid who plays Jojo in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. And Millie Bobby Brown and Daphne Keene in the like list of child actors who are given the established actors a run for their money and their stuff. Yeah, he he was great and definitely one of the best child performances of the past decade if not you know all time maybe yeah i don't know if i mean the list i just gave you know all of those probably could be up there mm-hmm. um and then you have see this is where the the irish names get a little hard to pronounce no oh, i can i can uh, give it a try let me look it up katriona balfi um as his mother oh the, she was the scene where Jamie Dornan comes in and is like, you did a good job raising these kids. And she tries to do Mm. the wife. No, we both did. And he's like, no, I was never here. Anything they are is because of you. So good. Yeah. She Um, had a lot of heavy lifting because it was also like, she had to be reserved a lot of the time. Um, But I think one of her standout scenes too, is when buddy comes home, there's like a raid going on at one of the like grocery stores. Yeah, and his cousin takes him, and she tells him to like grab whatever they need for the house. So he gets like, what is it, laundry fabric detergent. softener? Laundry yeah, or detergent. something. Yeah, and he like brings it home, and his mom's like, "Where did you get this?" And he like, you know, tells her, and he, he like shows because it has like a new formula or something that he's it's like biological. It's biological. <laughs> that's what it is. And she marches him back into town to the store and makes him put it back. In the middle so, of a riot. Yeah, there's a riot happening. And like afterwards, like after they put it back, then it starts to get real of like people are closing in on them. They're in danger. They get out of it. But it's one of these like stubborn moments where, you know, we're going to be better than this. We're not going to do this. That puts the family in danger. But it shows I think that was a big character growth moment for her, too, where, yes, they have to live by their principles, but also they have to preserve their family. Yeah, uh, it's Katrina Bell. Uh, you will know her from Outlander. I won't know her from Outlander, but other people will. Okay, yeah. She was in Super 8. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Kristen, we should do an episode on Super 8. We should do an episode on Super 8. <laughs> anyway. Jamie Dornan, as we said, Pa, Buddy's father. Um, Dame Judi Dench, Academy Credited. Award nominated for this movie. Credited only as Judi Dench. Put some respect on her name. <laughs> That is Dame D- Judy Dench to you. 
Absolutely. Uh, she plays Granny, uh, Buddy's grandmother, and we'll talk about both of them at the same time. Kieran Hines? Yeah. Kieran Hines? Kieran. Um, as Pop, his grandfather. These two are just, have the great, like, old people, like, long-time married people chemistry. Through because their, they, like... they bicker back and forth and have, like, these arguments. But there's also, like, a few moments where they're just very sweet to each other. Like they dance They're, together. Yeah. Um, uh, his grandfather is admitted to the hospital, and like she checks on him like every day, and like their their relationship is just very sweet. And so they're um, deeply in love, but they've been around each other for like sixty years, so they just will say anything. Yeah, they're like tired of each other, but also could not live without one another. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful, and there, there's a really there's really touching moments between Buddy and both of them, both as Tristan said, with the little girl in his class that he's in love with, they both give him different pieces of advice on how to like woo her over. And and the grandma gives him like money to go get chocolate for himself. Mm -hmm. And then at, at one point, I think to share with her, but then also when the family is debating leaving Northern Ireland, both at one point to go to london um to be closer to where his dad's working um and then at another time to go to australia to just leave everything behind and kind of start fresh there are these moments where buddy is saying like the only way he would go is if his grandparents came with him like the whole mm -hmm. family would have to go and one of the, the i think the very ending scene of the movie is the the grandfather didn't make it out of the hospital the family ends up moving to England for, you know, to be together for the job, to escape the troubles. But the grandma stays behind. Um, so it's the family getting on the bus to go to the airport. And then you just watch as Judy Dench is left alone um, with all of her family gone, um, departing. And like, you know, she sh it, it's one of those like really reserved moments in acting where you can tell the whole weight of the world is on her but she's like putting on a happy face as they're driving away. And then it kind of becomes stoic, um, you know, bittersweet, sentimental, great moment in face acting for Judy Dench. Yeah. I think like this and Coda are our top two, probably by a long shot. Oh yeah. And I think, like I said, I think Belfast is our preferred pick, but it's by like the smallest margin. Like both of these two movies are, the cream of the crop would i on a random afternoon be like you know what i'm gonna watch belfast probably not <laughs> would i on a random afternoon say i'm gonna watch coda probably i like of the two that's true um i would the other thing that is great about belfast that i think we need to mention and coda to a degree too belfast is only an hour and 32 minutes 36 minutes yeah. Which is just, first of all, not every movie needs to be two and a half hours, um, which almost every Academy Award nominated picture was besides the two we just mentioned. Um, some of them can be short and it doesn't matter how long the movie is because you can have a super heartfelt and impactful movie in 90 minutes. Like, think of it, I don't remember a single line from drive my car but i saw belfast over a month ago and still 
It's biological. <laughs> it sticks in my brain. Just him clutching the box of laundry detergent. Why did you steal that? It's biological. Oh. Um, so yeah. And and the, you know, like if be good and if you can't be good, be careful thing, mm-hmm. which will bring me to tears randomly sometimes. Just I I am surprised. Jamie Darden didn't get an uh, nomination, did he? Mm-mm. I think the only was acting nomination Jamie. was Judy Dench. Surprising. A lot of people don't think. Uh... Oh, never mind. The grandfather also got a supporting. Oh, okay, role. good, 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 good. But yeah, as we are around the day where we supposedly celebrate the Irish. <laughs> You should you should check out Belfast. It's probably one of the best movies that was released last year. Most definitely. I don't. If I were a betting man, which I am not, I wouldn't put money on it winning. Yeah, I for a while it had some momentum going into the awards nominations, but it seems to have fizzled down. Um, like we've said, Power of the Dog seems to be the front runner. Um, but Coda has been picking up momentum from some of the smaller um, award shows, so there could be an upset. We'll see. And Drive My Car is probably gonna also be there. I think. Wait, wait, do you want to quick go over the actor and actress? Just yeah. I like also, what about the um, yeah. So we'll we'll power through um, the other. We did not this year because there were. 10 Best Picture nominees, um, and then a lot of differences between uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Mm -hmm. Best Actor, and Best Actress. Um, We did not watch all of those movies. I think between us, we've probably seen most, if not all of them. Um, We have seen all the Best Directors, though. We have. Okay. So we can can talk about that. Um, But anyway, so we we're only talking about best picture this year because there were so many more nominees and less spillover. Um, but yeah, best director, we have Kenneth Branagh from Belfast, Ryosuke Hamaguchi from Drive My Car, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson from Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion from The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg from West Side Story. Quick thoughts, Tristan? Uh, again, if I was a betting person, uh, I'd say... Uh, Jane Campion is probably going to clinch it. It's fine with me. I think Brownout did turn out the best movie of his career, and there was only two Dutch angles in there from which I that I remember. Which for him, that's like nothing. It's like nothing. Man loves his Dutch angles. Um, I agree with that. I think it will be really great um, if a woman can win Best Director because very few have ever been nominated. What one, two have ever won. There's any uh, other yeah, one. Cap- Catherine, Catherine Bigelow, Bigelow and um, Chloe Zhao. Oh yeah, last year. Um, <laughs> forgot about that. And that was my. There might be another one that I'm forgetting, but it's no more than five. Yeah, so it'll be good for more female representation in that category that's mostly dominated by men. I will say, don't count out the name recognition of Steven Spielberg, though. Um, look, if, can... if he won. I would not be that upset. He doesn't deserve it for this movie, though. No. Does the man need any more Best Directing Awards? No. No. We all know Uh, he's probably the best director in history. We we know. Going to Best Actor, I've personally have seen four of the five. 
No, I've seen all of Best Actor. So here we go. I've seen three. Javier Bardem in Being the Ricardos as Desi Arnaz. Benedict Cumberbatch, The Power of the Dog as Bill Burbank. Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom as Jonathan Larson. Will Smith, King Richard as Richard Williams. And Denzel Washington, The Tragedy of Macbeth as Lord Macbeth. I'm going to guess. I haven't seen tragedy of macbeth but um i do know denzel tragedy of macbeth is a very good adaptation of macbeth but it it's macbeth i mean macbeth isn't good it's not really great. not um i think this year will smith is probably the front runner um again up against uh <laughs> uh um andrew garfield who uh, gave probably the best performance of his career he really tick, gave tick, two performances in tick tick film because he's playing like the quote-unquote present-day Jonathan Larson and also the, like, performance Jonathan Larson in the, like, I don't know, stage production. Yeah. I, I um, think I think Andrew Garfield should win. I would I believe Will Smith will win. Surprisingly, Benedict Cumberbatch had a lot of momentum and then it fizzled out as some of these other movies came out. I think Javier Bardem is probably just happy to be nominated. Um, he was good in the role. I don't think he was anything special. Being the Ricardos was um, a good, not great movie. I thought he his performance was good, not great. Um, yeah, but you know we could be wrong. I think that that contest is very close. Mm-hmm. And I I do think don't discount Denzel. Um, I think yeah. he could pull it off. Never discount Denzel. Man hasn't given a bad performance yet for bet i'm looking at best actress have you seen any well you saw being the ricardos uh um, i have seen i watched the eyes of tammy faye jessica chastain who i think is the front runner this race seems to be the most wide open of any of the major categories so you have jessica chastain the eyes of tammy faye as tammy faye baker a very transformative performance um, which the academy really likes um, both physically and mentally you wouldn't really recognize Jessica Chastain through a majority of the movie um, with the use of makeup and I believe prosthesis um, very great role for her um, Olivia Coleman who won maybe five years ago now for the favorite the lost daughter as Leta Caruso Lita Caruso I have not seen this movie um, I believe this is the one that was directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal her I believe directorial debut. Oh, no kidding. Um, Good for her. I've not seen it, uh, so I can't really say anything about her performance. But we do know Olivia Coleman is always very good. She is. Um, Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers, as Janice Martinez Moreno. I also have not seen this one. It was playing at the movie theater, and I have the unlimited account. So I almost went to see it, but also, yeah, I don't know. This movie, I do not believe, was made for people like us in mind. I think it's much more of a leans older audience and leans women audience, which does not mean we shouldn't see it. Um, but it's not one I, I seeked out. So I can't talk about this one either. Yeah, and then we got Nicole Kidman and Being the Ricardos, which, as Ben has said, I, I haven't seen it, but I, I believe Ben when he says it's good, not great. It's... It's Aaron Sorkin, so the dialogue is really great. J.K. Simmons was also nominated for this movie, and I think he was the standout. J.K. Simmons was hilarious, as he always is. I think Nicole Kidman, if it's not Jessica Chastain, could likely be her. 
um, because she's playing Lucille Ball both as I think the moments where she's playing Lucille Ball as the character in I Love Lucy, Lucy Ricardo, is amazing. Like when she transforms herself into the on-screen persona, wow. I mean, you can barely tell that it's not archive footage. When she's playing Lucille Ball off-screen, um, like in her in the daily life and the movie set in like the time where Lucille Ball is coming under scrutiny for potentially being a communist and during McCarthyism and the Red Scare um, and all of these sorts of things. So when she's being the more human non-performative side, it's hard because I don't know that time era that well to know how true it was to history. It was still a very good performance. And I think you know, if there's one thing the Academy loves more than anything else, it's movies about old Hollywood mm-hmm. and actors playing actors playing actors. So I think she has a pretty good shot. And then last, but certainly not least, um, again, we don't know because we haven't seen it. Uh, Kristen Stewart uh, in Spencer as Diana, Princess of Wales. Um, um, I've heard really good things about this performance. And look, I think... We, we can all look back on Twilight and say nobody was at their best in those movies, except Michael Sheen or whatever. The guy who was the big bad vampire who knew what movie he was in and absolutely chewed the scenery. So uh, I'm going to be honest. I have not seen a single Twilight, uh, so I have no idea. I watched him with riff tracks. It was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I think we also need to get past this belief that Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are talented based solely on those movies. I'm sure she does a good job. I do like the meme that I think Tristan, you sent me that was like, or maybe I sent it to you. That's like, since when as a society, have we decided that a man dressing up as a bat is a prestige role, but a man acting as a vampire is corny and talentless. (laughs) I don't know. I also like the, to prepare for broody Batman, Robert Pattinson spent the last 14 years being known as the guy from Twilight. Or uh, it took Robert Pattinson 14 years to go from being a vampire to being a bat. Worst vampire ever. <laughs> or another one of my favorites. Robert Pattinson can be Edward Cullen and Batman. Christ- Christian Bale couldn't. <laughs> it's true. Well, you know what? Um, I was going to say, I'm we're sure getting Kristen pretty... Stewart yeah i'm sure she did a great job i don't even know where we can watch this movie i believe Um, it is streaming on hulu of all places okay i'm not one of those people who's super obsessed with princess diana i I don't know if a lot of people our age are but i know there are uh i think if you are about 10 years older than us everything mm -hmm. princess diana because you have that memory um it's really big for us but you know in 10 years i was born when yeah yeah, in 10 years when they're making movies about Meghan Markle, we'll be there. <laughs> well, I don't know if we will. Oh, I was alive when she was alive. Look at that. Um, I was one. Yeah. It's, well, you weren't alive for long. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we're getting long-winded um, on what is already turning out to be a really long episode. Um, so thank you all if you've stuck around this long. Um, for listening to us go to the center of all of the Oscar-nominated movies for Best Picture in 2022. Let us know what movies you thought were snubbed, what 
nominees you think are deserving of taking home Oscar glory this year and what your pick is for the Academy's uh, attempt to make it up to Spider-Man fans for best popular movie. Until next time, we will continue to dive to the center of movies and TV, and we hope you come on this journey with us.